And we are recording. Are we actually recording now? Yes. I, uh, there's a big waveform on my uh, monitor. We're delving for first time in forever. We are delving for the first time, uh, I think this is one of our three or fourth time this year. Have we actually, yeah, we've delved this year. We did Metropolis. Six, seven months. No. We're in our seventh month. We're the in year. the seventh month of our year. It's just been a lot, you know. We did do Metropolis. We did Metropolis, but then we skipped for CPAC, then we skipped two times, two, two recordings in a row for other reasons. And then we skipped it from last time because of logistics. Yeah. But now we're delving. Now we're back. We are. With this movie that had the weird cover on Amazon. Yeah. Called Open Your Eyes. Or Abre Los Ojos, if you want the Spanish title. This it's is a Spanish, Spanish film. film. It was subtitled, and I forgave it for that. Because we and we all know how much I love subtitles. Yes, they are your favorite thing. But it was um, it was an interesting film. I I realized it was science fiction, and I came to the conclusion at the end of the movie that it was just not necessarily my preferred science fiction. But before we go too much further, this was released in ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven. Not, not 1897. For futures, <laughs> oh, anyone, anyone listening to this podcast in the next century. Because what we're going to do is we're gonna take all of the stuff on iTunes, put it onto a single crystal, <laughs> and put that on a program we sent to aliens. Because, you know, the entire, the next golden record that we use will just be, be all, all of, of iTunes. How douchey would we be if we're just like, you sort it out. <laughs> oh, it's just a pile of crappy MP3s. So open your eyes. You may recognize it because it was later remade by Cameron Crowe into Vanilla Sky. But open your eyes is a Spanish film that is following the main character of Caesar, uh, who, when you first meet him, is wearing the butt ugliest prosthetic mask ever. Yeah, I was wondering is that, is that a bad special effect or is that a? And then you eventually realize, oh no no no, that is intentionally bad. Because right. we find out that Caesar. Has in the course of living his rather promiscuous life, he's he's a play. I mean, the 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 only word really that we can use there is he's a playboy in the yes. traditional he's, sense. He's rich. That's the first thing I notice because the uh, first scene you see is a dream, and he wakes up and he he, he just has a pad. Yes. <laughs> but in any case, he you find him in a an insane asylum, I guess, for lack of a better term. It seems as though either that or even you know, asylum or prison. You know, you're not mentally criminally definitely, insane. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of trace back and we find that, that he had wronged the wrong woman and she drove them off, off the road. And in the course of the accident, he lost his very pretty looks. And let's be honest here. Caesar is very pretty. He's an incredibly handsome man. He, he is suave. (laughs) He he is what you fear will steal your wife when the, when the European man comes. (laughs) And then... (laughs) And then things kind of go off the rails, really, because like he obviously has bad reactions to this because he loses his pretty looks and he's really quite ugly. It, it, it's a, you know a classical fan of the opera type, right? Deformity. And we'll talk about that in a little while, but I'm trying to, for once, get us through the synopsis. This is a tough synopsis to get through. I'll be, you know, it is. So I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like tell every detail of the movie, but so the, things kind of go off the rail. He has issues. At first, he he doesn't associate with his friends, and then he does, because like before he got driven off the road, he had met Penelope Cruz and fallen in love with her. And then after, Penelope Cruz uh, was a little bit superficial, but, but understandably so. A little so. bit. I mean, he, he is 
is also kind of a douche to begin, you know. He's, not only is he ugly, but he's not taking his accident like the pinnacle of humanity. No. <laughs> he, he, he starts out as a douche and he stays a douche. The, the plastic surgeons, basically, they keep, they want his money, so they keep on telling him, oh, well, we're working on it, we're working on it. But it's basically inferred that this is never going to be fixed. It, yeah, I mean, any, any viewer knows that far of, you know, this is not a futuristic, a futuristic sci-fi film. This is set in... 1997. Yeah, 97, you know, so late 90s, that there's no way in hell he's going to get a, you know, human-looking face again. Right. So you start getting indications that um, that his reality is falling apart. We're entering the trope of things are not necessarily like they are. All of a sudden, magically, his, the surgery is available, mm-hmm. and his... They can reconstruct his face, and they do. And Penelope Cruz is like, "How could I have ever avoided you?" But she does it before he gets his face fixed, and that makes it genuine. Yes. And then he gets his face fixed, and it's awesome. But then, you know, he starts mixing her up with the woman who ran him off the road, and these things are keep on happening until you find out, of course, as he finds out that he had actually contracted con- contracted with a cryogenic company, as was the what? When was that ever? Like a thing. Is that a thing? Uh, I think you can get yourself frozen. Like, why well, Walt Disney got his head frozen or something? I, I, that is, I believe that is a that is a myth. That is a sort of an urban legend about the world. But, like, like all these science fiction commodities mm-hmm. that take place in the future always talk in the past about the cryogenic era. Like, era. And I, and they always talk about it, like, in the 90s. And did it actually happen? I don't think, I don't think we get, I think people have frozen themselves, but I don't think they've ever actually revived a person. Fair enough, because, you know, if there's one thing our listeners are good for, it's that they are a font of completely useless and off-the-rails knowledge. So for those of you who are listening, you can feel free to respond and tell us all the knowledge you have about this cryogenic wave. <laughs> like it, it was, I feel like it was definitely in the news a lot. In that time period. Sure. But in the meantime, so he kind of figures out that he had contracted with them. And this one was unique because they they kind of go into your brain and they let you live your life out in, like, this idealistic dream while you're waiting to be thawed. Only, apparently, they're like, oops, your subconscious can can mess that up and we're not responsible for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is unlicensed, uh, you know, business here, apparently. So, so unregulated. Problem. So, so eventually Caesar is, you know, comes to comes to terms with everything that's happened to him and gets ready to move on with his life. And it was definitely science fiction, but it just was not what I expected. It's I don't want to say it's light science fiction. It is sort of concept science fiction. See, I think it's okay. We won't use light, which is a judgmental term, but it's definitely it's definitely not. Hard no. science fiction. It's no. soft sci. Soft sci. It's, it's soft sci, or it's and it's definitely like it. The only reason I steered and I still maintain that it's science fiction, of course, it can never have said not to be because it's using cryogenics and virtual mm-hmm. reality. But I would have been tempted to lean it further away. But after I finished, I realized that one of the most important parts of science fiction is that they are cerebral. People pieces. Yeah, they tell us more about ourselves. I mean, and, you know, we always say, you know, we we harp on this again and again that the best science fiction is the ones that have an idea 
play with it in their story, but they're using characters to play with it. Right. Really, the sci-fi aspects of this were not as important as the things that Caesar was going through mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Because it's really about a man's kind of journey within himself to try and... I mean, you'd have this be a coma, and it would be the same film. Sure. More, more or less. Absolutely. I think it might actually be a more interesting film. Possibly. The the end was rather abrupt. The, oh, yeah. The end, like... And here's what really happened. Kind of has a bit of... I don't want to say Desix Machina, but it does have a... I was very, very... You didn't. Very... It, it but, gets to that line, might... Well, you have the dude come at the end who's like, and I've been your host in this mental fabrication. We're all imaginary, except for you. <laughs> um, my shout-out does go to the... Uh, let me see. Like, I, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, but Chet Lara plays Antonio, who's a psychologist who's trying to, like, who basically is our tool to flashback because Caesar's yes. telling him all the things that had happened to him and he's kind of probing it. And I thought he did a fantastic job. He was a great actor. I think I thought he was like the best part of it. I would I would see more films with him in it, but I don't know if he doesn't. I don't. I you know I don't know nearly enough about Spanish cinema. He kind of reminds me of Robin Williams from Goodwill Hunting. It may just be the beard. It should be beard. <laughs> really, any man with a beard reminds me of Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. That's, that's just how it goes. That's possible. That or Bill Riker. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but. Like, and then the psychology part, too. But. Yes. yes. But I, of course. That was, it was pretty interesting. I thought everyone played their roles right. Um, I thought it, one of the character interactions I found odd was that, okay, so he's, you've got him, and you've got his best friend. Okay. And his best friend is, I guess, kind of dating Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz. And then she's just kind of stolen away. Later in that scene. Right. Like, like this, yeah, it's not even like, you know, time passes. It is. Like later that party. Yeah. <laughs> later that party. Yeah, exactly. It's halfway through the party and, you know, two hours later, he just steals her away. But the things we've gotten from Friend are he'd allowed that to happen without, yes. like, making a huge fuss. He was a little He was, he was miffed. Um, he doesn't do well with the women. He doesn't have a sense of confidence about himself, mm-hmm. unlike his playboy friend. Yes. And then... The accident happens, and we the next time we see him, I think he's at the bar, where, like, because, you know, you've had Caesar approach Penelope Cruz and be like, ha-ha, you're a bitch, you never called me. So he guilts her into going out with them, and she's like, this man terrifies me. He looks like a freak. I want my boyfriend with me. So she invites the best friend, and all of a sudden, he went from, and keep in mind, this is pre, he's in cryo. Like, this is all real things. And he just went from, like, no self-confidence to, like, tough boyfriend, I'm here to defend her, and you better straighten up. Uh, apparently, Palayo's power is, he is as confident as the difference in prettiness to the next man in the room. Interesting. That could be it. <laughs> because when, when, he, when, it's, when it's pretty, Cesar, he's going he's, he's to play worse. But it's ugly, Cesar. All of a sudden, he's, he's complete, like, yeah. back off, man. Yeah, apparently, He's gorgeous. His confidence yeah. is entirely based... He has no self-confidence naturally. He needs that to be based on someone else's appearance. What a horrible mutant power. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mutant power, or just being an awkward male. Perhaps. But that was, uh, that was one of the points where I found it interesting, where he was just basically a completely different person. Yeah. Um... 
I, w- I wonder if that was written for a separate character and then they couldn't get another actor for it or something. Maybe, or maybe that's just how they did it. Or maybe, yeah. time, like maybe, maybe it was there to represent that it had been a long time and time had passed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm guessing that if he's dating Penelope Cruz for like six months or something. That would, I mean, that also would change his behavior around her because, you know. Sure. It seems that that first scene, they seem that they've just met. Or yeah, definitely. They just, started, you know, they just started dating. Right. I don't think he would have done what he did no matter what of a douche he is. And he is a douche. Oh, he's the worst. Without, like, if they'd been dating for a year. I don't think he'd be like, let's go. Let's go to your place. You're oh. in her place. He is kind of like. He is an entirely unsympathetic character. Absolutely, which made it a little difficult. That makes the film hard to hard to you know engage with because you really could care less what happens to him. Which, especially for the first half, absolutely, it makes an interesting chemistry switch with um. Let's see, Naiwa Nimri plays Nuria. Nur- yes, and Nuria is interesting because there's really no likable characteristics about her, no. except. That he's a douche. So and you, she hates him. So you still have to, like, empathize <laughs> with her. Because what would she be like if he wasn't a douche? <laughs> but she was an interesting kind of... She's not a femme fatale, but she's more she, sex pot. She seems like she's out of a noir, you know, more out of a noir than anybody else does. Yeah. She's just kind of like a little sex pot, you know? Yeah. She She's very frank about what she wants and who she wants mm-hmm. and... She's there to tempt him, and it doesn't take a lot. <laughs> and then she causes the accident. Yes. So I, I think that it's all very, like, she, but I thought she did a good job with why I brought her up. Yeah. So she, she, again, she's an interesting character, but I feel like she's only a plot device, not an actual character in a lot of ways, that her job is to sort of get that story moving of, of the accident. But really, there's a handful of speaking roles in this Movie that are important. There's maybe six. And we have Fele Martinez, who's his best friend, who I was indifferent to. We have Penelope Cruz, who honestly I was indifferent to. <laughs> we had the psychiatrist, who, uh, psychologist, sorry, who I liked. And I thought Nuria was probably the second best person in the film, just in terms of giving a performance. Yeah. Also, I mean, most interesting, you know, as far as interesting characters go. I mean, we have Caesar, who's played by Eduardo Noriega. And I thought he did fine. He did, yeah, he did, he did a fine job for that part. It's, you it's, made me not li- li- like him, which I think was the point. Yeah, it's a complex role, and he did it well. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is part of the problem is you have to remove yourself from yourself just enough to go, I don't like you because you were a good actor. Yes. And the part is written well. I think also when he's a psychologist, interesting is that he switches from being sort of a, a pseudo-narrator to be something that's driving the story about halfway through, you know. Definitely. He does that switch, and then he, he becomes a point of conflict. And then he has a very, very solid, like, his best performance is in the last 15 minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. where, you know, you finally realize, or at least you're pretty sure, it's never it's never going to be spelled out for you, because this is cerebral sci-fi. So they're not going to give you <laughs> enough fuel to be positive that everything is like they say it is. But in any case, when it comes to realize that this is some sort of some sort of cryogenic coma dream, yeah, um, you have this psychologist Antonio who's just like, no, this is I, no, I'm not part of a dream. I'm real, and you're real, and this guy's just trying to pull something over on you, and we got to go find people because there's no people on the planet now because this is like, I guess, kind of like the exit program. 
And, and that was like the way he was taking it, you know, like you have this cold, cold Deus Ex Machina narrator telling him everything, how it is, you know, you're in cryogenic suspension, blah, blah, blah. And you have him like crying over his daughters and yes, and, and it's just so tragic. He did a, you know, he does a great job. Mm-hmm. And I think he does a great job of, you know, you do feel his tragedy of this character who really isn't a character for the, again, not really a character for the first half. Right. But becomes the... Absolutely. That is a side of the film. I find it very interesting that if you pull back enough out of this, you realize that this is this is a construct of Caesar's mind trying to help him process and fix himself. Yes. And somewhere in Caesar's <laughs> mind is this desire to not be a total douche. And like really like get past all this trauma and like concepts of pretty and ugly. I, I wonder, I wonder if as, as you know, cause they mentioned it early on that his parents had died. Right. And that this is some sort of reflection thing that happened then to him. And he, I mean, many people do go through like grieving counseling and sure. So I, I wonder if this is, if that character was developed out of that part of his mind. I mean, maybe I'm digging deeper into his life now, but, and we never will get to, but yeah. It was interesting, and I thought I think that's these are all interesting pieces because you have to look at the things like, you know, his best friend existed, and Nuria and uh, what was her Sophia Sophia um, existed, and so like no matter what was happening with those characters, they were already kind of entrenched in his brain. Yes, at like in this cryo dream, whereas you have like Antonio, who's just not like he's com- complete. It was a full concert of his mind. And I think I think that's a very interesting part of the whole thing, like that he's like somehow in this he's his own therapist. And admittedly, he had to have gotten some of this stuff from like you know I'm sure like you said he saw counselors when his parents died and this kind of thing, and probably after the wreck. I mean, you're not going to go to a car wreck, lose your face, face. and not see. You'd hope, yeah, you'd hope that they were. I'm wondering if maybe that what person was you know that face made it might have been the face that possibly, but they did a really like. That's interesting, and it, it, it allows me to segue a little. The face, like both versions, because they you have the face post rack, which is like very well done very with good, prosthetics, good and, ugly makeup, and then you have like the mask they constructed, which I don't know how he thought that that was better than his uglified face, but he's full, of, he's full of like crazy pills. That was a. That was the kind of face that someone puts on before they pull out a knife and axe murder you. Yeah, I was like, I'm like honestly, I said, it's like, when, when you first say you don't know what's going on in the film, yet, yeah. you're like, does this movie have really bad makeup going on or something? No, I, as soon as I saw that, I was kind of like, are we, are we in like a horror movie science fiction? <laughs> kind of. It is a, it's a, a psychological it's just a psychological thriller yeah yeah. so it it does have those elements to it so i thought the makeup and the prosthetics was spectacularly done um they luck out because they don't really need to like it may be sci-fi but that's the most they had to do that's i mean yeah you the the, the writers i think you know wrote a sci-fi film that was set in a simple time 1997 1997 well not you know (laughs) You know, not 2097 or... No, no, absolutely. 2187. And, and they get out of it, they never have to show you. Apparently, he's slept for 150 years. And they're like, that's... One of the problems I have with the story is his virtual reality construct that shouldn't really know anything on the outside mm-hmm. is basically promising him that surgery has 
moved leaps and bounds. And it's like magical what they can do. And I'm just like, hey, okay, fine. If you are a little bit of a connection and not completely like in his mind, that's fine. But I didn't like that he had the promise of a normal face when he woke up. I felt like I would have, I felt like it would have been a more like character building decision if he wasn't sure. Does that make any sense? What what you're saying that when he woke up from. Like maybe his face would be fixed. Maybe it wouldn't be. Well, I think the entire the, – the, the, at least their premise of cryogenics is that you will not get woken up until – well, the point is that you went until they can cure what, kill, what, yes, what kills but he, you. But in his in his case, He's, like, like basically, they just had to thaw him out. Yes. Like, and he made the decision to wake up. Mm-hmm. So that's like uh, – I, I thought it would have been a it, stronger character piece. It would have been, but I don't – I I don't know if this film was ever going for him really developing as a character. In that way of, of dealing with his issues. Because he never really... At no point does he ever really mature. No, or if it doesn't, no you're right. At most, it's, at most it's a superficial moment that he falls right back into. Right, it's mostly this is just him going, Okay, well, I'm done living in my head. This shit sucked. Yeah. I want to wake up. Because he, 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 you know, the only time he gets... He's not, he's less of a douche when he looks... Looks back to his old face. Right, and they want to. They want to. They're trying. They're trying their hardest to show that in this like two minute span, he's like transforming in character. But you're like, but nothing happened. You don't re- also. You don't really. It's hard to believe that you know that this that, that these facts have changed him entirely. When, right, and nothing else has made has made him change. Basically, he didn't have to. The thing says, okay, well, it's 150 years. They can fix your face now. You can be a normal person. Just acknowledge that all these people are dead. Yeah. And that's not really that hard of a decision because he's a superficial act. Yeah, he's really just a terrible person. <laughs> you don't really care if he lives or dies. You really don't. <laughs> I kind of wish that they'd have been lying to him. but So, interesting point. Kurt Russell is the psychologist in Vanilla Sky. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to do a full episode of follow-up episodes to things. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious to see how Kurt Russell pulls it off because I love Kurt Russell. I do love Kurt Russell. I don't, but I don't necessarily see him as a psychologist character. And this guy did so fantastically. <laughs> well, we'll see. But in any case, um, I was like, what music there was was I was indifferent to. I, I think it worked for the film. It didn't. It didn't detract it any. Again, it's one of those. I didn't notice it, but it played to the emotion of the movie. It yeah. didn't like. It wasn't suddenly the cartoony wacky like. Yeah, at 117 minutes, it was a solid length. So at, at no point that I feel like things were dragging too hard. No, it, it really didn't drag. I mean, I ended up watching this handful of times. The first half a handful of times just because of scheduling. Sure. So I, I saw the first half about eight or nine times. At this point, but it's a no. It's a nice. I check it out if it's on a streaming service. I don't think it is. Sadly. No, and eventually it might be. Things pop up. I will keep my eye on it, and if people say, oh, this shows up, I'll, I'll mention it. Because it is worth checking out if you're interested in... I would, I'm would. i not positive that it belongs on a best-of sci-fi list, but in terms of like cerebral thrillers with a, with a sci-fi twist, it definitely belongs yeah, on some list. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, again, I don't know if it belongs in best sci-fi, but a hundred good sci-fi films... Is actually a much harder list than uh, 
I don't understand why people do 100. Because 100, like, by the time you're in your last, that, we'll say 40, that last, yeah. they're meaningless. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that last 25 was like, I mean, how many fellas, how many times have I seen Splice on? Like, I have seen Splice on, like, 89 best sci-fi list. I feel like we need to watch it again just to rehate it. No, I don't want to rehate it. <laughs> I, I, I literally have no idea what people saw in that film. I, I don't either. But in any case, Habla los Oyos. Ojos? Ojos? Yeah, the, the J is H sounding in Spanish. Okay. I don't know. Mm. I try. I keep on trying to learn Spanish. One day I'll learn more. I can do pronunciation of languages. I can't. I, I can, I've never, like, done vocabulary. And by languages, I mean European languages, like Spanish and Italian. But again, if it streams, watch it. If a friend has it, borrow it. Yeah, I know. This is a. It's, it's worth checking out. If this really sounds up your alley, maybe buy it's not it can't be that expensive on Amazon for the yeah. DVD. Yeah, I mean if you have a soft spot for just like, you know, cerebral thrillers with sci fi with a little twist at the end. It's, like a, it's probably like in that set five to seven dollar DVD range right now. Probably. And admittedly we gave you the twist, but it's all about the watching. This no, this this is yeah, mo- a good cerebral sci fi film is about you know, again, journey not not destination. And I will say for, you know, five speaking roles that spoke longer than, you know, a minute. It's a solid crack cast. It's a, it's a it's a good cast. Yeah, no, it's it seems almost like a play in that way of a, of a small cast play. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely, and I could have. It's the kind of thing that if you went to Broadway to see it, the guy who played Caesar might play other roles too, just to fuck with people. I, this is only like a black box off Broadway show. Like, no set. Everyone's wearing just black turtleneck and black pants constantly. And whoever played Caesar would have to like should be twins. So you could have the pretty one and the yeah, other one on the same, same stage, stage at the same time. Yes, we could. We could do this. Okay, <laughs> coming next year to Broadway. Open your eyes. Brought to you by two schmoes who know nothing. <laughs> Brian Cranston is the psychologist. Yes. Or Tony yes. Award winner. Bro- Sorry, Tony, Tony Award winning Brian Cranston. <laughs> awesome. I would. I think Brian Cranston should be involved in anything we create. <laughs> I think so. Uh, it is currently five dollars. There you go for the DVD. Five dollars for the DVD. That's worth it. I mean, the problem is you're taking you're taking up a space in your house with, the, with that DVD. Yes. That, the cost you're paying is the space of that DVD, in my mind. Definitely. All right. So what's next? Next up is a Japanese animated film known as Pet Labor, the movie. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of that. D- directed by uh, famous director Mamoru Oshii. Most notable for Ghost in the Shell. Now, I've been promised giant robots. You will have giant robots and you will have cops. Giant robots and, like, are they, like, are they, like, Mad Bull cops? How do I, how do I like that show more and more the further I get from it? Because <laughs> I remember, you remember, I remember railing against You hated it. <laughs> but I think, I think you need to rewatch it to, to, to either remember your hate or remember your, or rekindle your love. I don't know. It's just, it was, I remember it being ridiculous, but the further I go from it, that ridiculous see, engages me. See, I, I, I'm starting to worry that I've, I've turned something on in you or something or like some, some, some lock. Maybe, but is it like cyber city away Cops or like mad bull cops? Where are the spectrum? Closer to like American procedural. Cops. Okay. And I assume that this is something you added to the list. Yes, so I, I added to the list. And okay. It does, appear, it does appear on other, like, best anime sci-fi, definitely. Occasionally best straight sci you know, a normal best sci-fi list. Okay, and give me the title again. It's... Pat Labor. Pat Labor. As in patrol labor. Ah, okay. Okay, well, we'll watch that next. Yep. 
and you guys feel free to do it too because you know we're going to spoil it. So if you ever actually want to watch it without that. <laughs> I spoiled that on a panel once. Like the, the, one of the big reveals halfway through the film. Nice. <laughs> You're 